The Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network presents Setting the Record Straight, where various Christian Reconstructionist pastors seek to understand and dissect the issues that are plaguing the church today, from the pulpit to the pew. Hello and welcome to another edition of Setting the Record Straight. My name is Russell Trawick and I will be your host for today. Today, I want to do something, uh, usually in the past, in the last few months or, or sessions, I've done, I've posted a, a previous sermon, and I, and I probably will still post a sermon coming up, but I wanted to, uh, I want to discuss something today, just a, a podcast, and, and really, uh, part of Reconstructionist Radio, the point behind Reconstructionist Radio and setting the record straight is that we apply God's Word to all of life. Applying all of God's word to all of life. And as pastors, uh, that is our job. Uh, that is our responsibility, I should say. It's a responsibility for each and every one of us. And as a as a pastor of a small gathering in Sweeney, Texas, called Christ Covenant Church, that's what I want to do uh, is in every, every Sunday and every time we gather together, is give an opportunity for us to take God's word, understand it, discern it, per se, and share it with the world and apply God's word so that when we leave here, it's not that just my pastor said something new, my pastor studied something or shared something in a study, but how do we apply this to our work, to our families, and beyond? And so today I want to ask this question um, in the midst of so much else, and we'll get to it as we go along. Is Ignore Roe versus Wade a righteous cause? Is that statement, Ignore Roe v. Wade, a righteous cause. For years now, there have been there has been several movements that have clearly stated that all states have to do uh, regarding abortion is to ignore. All they have to do is ignore the Roe v. Wade decision due to states' rights not being trampled by the Supreme Court decisions that are are not upheld by any specific law. For example, there is no such thing. Uh, there is a decision by the Supreme Court in Roe v. Wade, but there is no actual law making it legal to abort your babies. Proponents of ignoring Roe v. Wade are often looked down upon for being some severe right-wing extremists that rebel against uh, order in our country. For if people just started ignoring the federal court or even the government, there would be anarchy in this country. We need to maintain law and order, they might say. Yet when men in the name of nationalism, a common cause, or the majority rules decides to do an unrighteous act, it's like people shrug their shoulders and say, well, you know those liberals, but I think there's more to it than talking points about leftist or rightist ideologies and so forth. Considering the recent decision by the state of New York to legalize abortion up to birth, how is one to determine when defiance is a righteous or unrighteous cause? What I'm asking is simply this. Is ignoring Roe v. Wade the same as a state ignoring the, any federal law and claiming states' rights? I mean, that seems to work with marijuana in several states, right? But is there a difference between marijuana ignoring Roe v. Wade and a state stating that they can murder, abort our babies at any age prior to birth that we want? To answer this question, we must understand the difference between righteous and unrighteous causes, the authority and standard by which the line between them is dictated, and if rebellion is every ever justly 
warranted. Well, we must understand the difference between righteous and unrighteous causes. But even here, we come to a crossroad. Therefore, we must move forward and then take a step back. Uh, who or what is the authority and standard for, the right, for righteous and unrighteous causes? First, there are three distinct ways to answer this, this question. First, one, first, uh, God sovereignly at his word. Two, humanism, pagan man at his subjective will. And three, Christian dualistic man, separation of the sacred and secular in one's life. How one determines authority and standard for living is either subjective or objective. Therefore, God as the authority and standard for righteousness and unrighteousness is an objective standard outside of man. His word determines our standard for all things. If this be true, then the standard of humanism derives its standard and authority subjectively, not objectively, subjectively, from man individually and corporately through a majority rule or might equals right standard. Paganism at its finest, man devoid of God. Yet there is one more standard that I think is necessary to flesh out. That's why they said there's a third, third, third version, and we need to flesh it out a bit more. The Christian dualist. This person views things in two categories: sacred and secular. And the standard of authority for righteousness and unrighteousness changes based on which category they systematically and subjectively assign any part of life to. For many, the sacred stays within the four walls of the church building or the home, and secular is everything outside of that. Ultimately, this, this is quote-unquote Christian humanism, which is not Christianity at all. Second, when it comes to the question... What is a righteous or unrighteous cause? The answer is either God at his word objectively outside of man, or man subjectively outside of God. Let's say that again. The answer to what is a righteous and unrighteous cause, the answer is either God at his word objectively outside of man, or man subjectively outside of God. God's word defines righteousness and unrighteousness by the very character of God. Humanism, or quote-unquote Christian humanism, defines these by an ever-changing standard of self or the corporate majority. God's standard and character does not change, according to Malachi 3.6, where men do and often go from bad to worse, 2 Timothy 3.12-13. Therefore, since only God at his word is both the objective standard and authority, while all others are numerous as a sand on the seashore and changing as often as the seasons, we will use God's word today to define righteous and unrighteous. We find terms uh, described uh, these terms described in Galatians 5 as the fruit of the Spirit or the fruit of the flesh, where it reads in verses 16 through 26, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh, for these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing what you, the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of rage, or sorry, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. 
I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Now, just in reading this descriptions alone, it destroys the other two subjective standards. It does so, one, by showing that any standard other than God's opposes him and he them. And those who adhere to the fruit of the flesh will not inherit the kingdom, his kingdom. Two, it defines that those who belong to him are, are not so just in word, but in deed as well. If we are in Christ Jesus, we are not so just on Sunday mornings. We are people, we are a people that crucify the flesh in order to live in and keep in step with the Spirit. We cannot adhere to Christian, quote-unquote, Christian dualism or, quote-unquote, Christian humanism. We are to only cruci- we are to not only to crucify the flesh, but in 2 Corinthians 10, verses 3 through 6, it says, For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging a war according to flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God, and take every thought captive to obey Christ, being ready to punish every disobedience when your obedience is complete. These are powerful and purposeful words for the people of God in determining and standing for righteousness and against unrighteousness. This brings us to the next and last point. Thirdly, when and if ever is rebellion righteous and warranted? This can only be answered by the standard and authority one uses, and therefore it either justifies or condemns a rebellion. Let's look at this more fully. One, for the Christian, I believe we can live by this precept and we can live at peace as long as you do not command me to do what God forbids or forbid me to do what God commands. Let's say that again. We can live by this simple precept and at peace as long as you do not command me to do what God forbids or forbid me to do what God commands. This is the crux of the matter, and this is not a standpoint of compromise or one of leave me to be, but one of conflict. It is one of conflict because God's commands requires me to not only know His commands and stand firmly upon His commands, but also proclaim to the world what He has commanded. There is no neutrality in Christ. There is no neutrality in Christ Jesus As it's stated in 2 Corinthians 10 a few moments earlier, we are waging war not against men, but their strongholds, their arguments, and humanistic opinions, waging war against our God and bring them in line with and obedience to Christ. Doing so will bring conflict with this world when their authority and standard is subjectively the humanistic man, even when under the auspices and labeling of quote-unquote Christianity. Rebellion is righteously warranted when any man, any law, any government subjectively sets itself up as the standard of authority and makes truth and authority claims that are contrary to the very word of God. Rebellion comes in multiple forms from not from not participating in specific activities to speaking out against them, bringing legislation against them, and also outright ignoring them. We must 
be wise as serpents and innocent as doves, according to Matthew 10, 16. But that never means compromise or or rejoicing when something comes close to but falls completely short of God's standard. This specifically goes with the ignore Roe v. Wade crowd for individuals, cities, for individual cities, local counties, and even states to ignore SCOTUS, the SCOTUS decision regarding abortion is not an unrighteous cause, but one that is righteous and God-honoring. Yet what do we have? We have sects of Christian humanism that say we have to go through the humanistic process of men to bring about godly righteous change. They set aside God's commands and God's statutes to work through a process of the rule by majority to accomplish the task of changing legislation and not men's hearts. They oppose anyone, including brothers and sisters in Christ, who say ignore man's unrighteous decrees, choosing to demonize them instead of stand with them. And I have news for you. While the Christians have been bickering and opposing one another in the name of standing for what God commands, trying to define terms and build strategies and train troops and legislate incremental changes for over 40 years, the pagans have just done what the ignore Roe v. Wade crowd has been talking about doing all along. Ignore the federal government in favor of states' rights, and this time, as with several other states, it is for unrighteous and legalized murder. The church at large has been arguing over semantics based from Christian humanism, and the pagans just say, we don't care a damn. And they just step further in their deprivation uh, without missing a beat. They too are in rebellion of the greatest unrighteousness. They are in rebellion to God. Romans 1, 18-32 states it very clearly. And we're going to read this whole passage. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God... They did not honor him as God or give thanks to him because they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions, for the women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature, and the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another, men committing shameless acts with men and receiving themselves the due penalty for their error. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, and God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless, though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. 
You see, when pagans go into rebellion, it's easy to declare they are in rebellion against the state or the political party or the president because the only basis for a pagan and humanistic culture is rebellion against man. But for us who are in Christ, it ought to be easy to see that ultimately the rebellion that occurs is against God, His sovereign authority, and His word, His revelation to us. And what is the result of such rebellion? God gives them over to their depravity, gives them up to the lusts of their hearts, to dishonorable passions, to a debased mind. Yes, we see the results of rebellion against God from these individuals, but there is more. Two, we also see rebellion against God from the people who claim to know Him and to be saved by Him. Yes, those who claim to be Christians. The rebellion from these is not what most would think. Their rebellion is a bit more obscure and veiled to some. You see, we can quote Romans 1, 18-32 to talk about the depravity of mankind, but we forget what Paul writes to begin with in chapter, in chapter 1, verses 16-17, through 17, which reads, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Now, I don't know many Christians that would say that they are ashamed of God or the gospel of Jesus Christ, but how we treat the gospel in relation to most of life reveals the church's shame. The gospel is the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes. Yet, most attempts at addressing the holocaust of abortion in America is humanistic and pagan. We resort to the man-centered means. It has been said you can't legislate morality, and I don't agree. All things are moral upholding the ethical and judicial standards of the law of God or of a rival God made by the mind and hands of men. There is no neutrality here, yet when we try to change a society against the will and mind of a pagan and humanistic men, we do nothing more than shift the sands of the hourglass until the opposition is elected or chooses to flip the hourglass again. The only way to change a society, the culture, and beyond is the with the word of God. The proclamation of the gospel by the power of God, by his people, not just his pulpits, but by his people as they go wherever God plants their feet. That means there's no room for dualism or separation of the sacred from the secular. We are to be his ambassadors calling all men to be reconciled to God. 2 Corinthians 5, 17-20 Proclaiming the word in season and out, always being ready. 2 Timothy 4 And ready to give an answer, a solid defense for the hope we have. 1 Peter 3, 13-17 And if God's people are prepared, aren't prepared, that is part and parcel of the failure of the pulpits in American churches. And because pastors are charged with the responsibility of equipping the saints to do this work, as for Ephesians 4, 10-16 tells us. The individual also has a responsibility here as well. If their pastor or pastors and teachers are not fulfilling this responsibility, they must find another avenue to be equipped for obedience to God. Remember... We all have the Holy Spirit to guide us into all truth, John 17, 17, and we are a priesthood of believers, not just a priesthood of professionals, 1 Peter 2, 9 and 10. We also must walk in obedience to Christ, applying all of his word to all of life. This means righteous indignation and rebellion against a pagan and godless state. Both Democrats and Republicans have enabled the Holocaust of over 60 million babies being murdered. In fact, today, there are more black babies that are murdered through abortion than are born. 
And this is not an epidemic of blacks initiated by blacks. It's much deeper than that. Considering that Planned Parenthood has set up most of their clinics in impoverished minority neighborhoods in order to get rid of, as a founder of Margaret Singer said, is published by, recently published by, uh, or obtained this from LifeNews.com. It says, in a letter to Dr. Clarence Gamble on December 19, 1939, Margaret Sanger exposited her vision for the Negro Project, a freshly launched collaboration between the American Birth Control League and Sanger's Birth Control Clinical uh, Research Bureau. The letter echoes the eugenic ideology since, uh, still visible within the corporate vein of Planned Parenthood today. In the quote-unquote, she wrote, It seems to me, from my experience... That while co- while the colored Negroes have a great respect for white doctors, they can get closer to their own members and more and more or less lay their cards on the table with which means their ignorant superstitions and doubts. We should hire three or four colored ministers, preferably with social service backgrounds and with engaging personalities. The most successful educational approach to the Negro is through a religious appeal. We don't want the word to go out that we want to exterminate the Negro population. And the minister is the man who can straighten out that idea if it ever occurs to any of their more rebellious members. And I want you to think about this. I want you to think about it carefully. Not only is, uh, as, as stated, there are more babies, black babies aborted than born, but they've even convinced... They've been convinced by the fact that that as they are Democrats and Democrats are the ones who are for abortion and they're the ones who support Democrats the most. And that they found is by using these ministers and also other incentives, uh, incentive programs, they've been able to accomplish this task whether they want to state it or not but that was the intention from the beginning truthfully also if you show up outside of a Planned Parenthood or another abortion clinic there are plenty of representatives from area churches and we're not talking about standing in protest we're talking about the fact that we've seen pastors and deacons and others come to murder their babies claiming but God will forgive us the truth is God can forgive but let's be honest what God's word says about it says about this act. There is no reason ever for the abortion or the willful murder of an unborn image bearer of God. Never, period. And it is murder. It is an act of self is not an act of self-defense, killing. It is a premeditated murder. And there are two perpetrators in the act of abortion, the mother who sets up and pays for the contract killing of her child, and the doctor, the one legally licensed and paid, to commit the hit on the most defenseless of all children in the womb. The only victim is the child. People will say, well, what about rape or incest or medical emergencies? Well, what about them? One evil act does not condone or permit another evil act. The victim of one crime does not get to punish an innocent person for the sin of another. And regardless of what one has done in the past and the hurt it causes them, it does not change the message of the gospel or the commands of our Lord and His word. We cannot compromise His word for the sake of making one feel someone feel more comfortable with their sin. They need to be reconciled to God. Not to men or in their minds. For men can forgive and look past your sin straight into the pit of hell. But God is the only one 
that has authority to forgive and heal through repentance in Christ Jesus. You know, today, people are disturbed by what the state of New York has done, but they ought to be convicted by their inactivity, apathy, and complacency since 1973. Church, we need to mourn for the babies' lives that have been lost and will be lost. But we also need to repent of our sin in regards to the Holocaust, this Holocaust. And walk forward this day in obedience to God's command to rescue the perishing and hold back those who are stumbling to the slaughter. To stand in the gap for the fatherless and oppressed. We need to call out our representatives to ignore Roe v. Wade and outlaw abortion in our cities, counties, and states. We need to preach the gospel before them that God would powerfully change men's hearts and minds from the pulpits to the street corners to the workplaces. We need, to, we need righteous rebellion in the midst of an unrighteous and pagan generation. So my call is to you, let's go church. Once again, this is an issue, this is a life calling of all of us. Let's storm the gates of hell together. Until next time, God bless you and yours. This is a, once again, this is Russell Trawick, and this is another rec- recording of, of a podcast episode for Setting the Record Straight with Reconstructionist Radio. Thank you for listening to Setting the Record Straight. Join us on Facebook at the Reconstructionist Radio Discussion Group. And don't forget to visit ReconstructionistRadio.com to listen to all of our podcasts and to download our free audiobooks.